You are slipping into a distorted dimension. Reality and fantasy are changing places past the event horizon. Bullies are victims, men are women, and abuse is love. You weren't here just yesterday. Reality is still out there. But to find your way back, you have to notice it. And now, the Disaffected Podcast with Joshua Slocum. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. One of the things I find most satisfying about doing this show and hearing from those of you who listen to it is when you tell me that a story I told about something that happened to me in childhood or about how a relationship went or a way that I've tried to understand fractured relationships with people in my past, when you tell me that you thought no one else had been there, that no one else had felt that way, or that no one else had noticed the dynamics the way you did, and that you felt better knowing that someone else did. So I'm going to offer you some thoughts that may resonate for some of you. If they do, It's unfortunate, it's sad, because it means that you had an experience like mine. But if they do, pardon, if they do resonate for you, hopefully you can take some comfort in knowing that you're not the only one. One of the most difficult things... Let me say it another way. The memories of my childhood that are the most difficult for me are not the, the episodes of flagrant, even psychotic abuse. I've talked about them in public. I've talked about them on the show. There's a certain level of detachment from it. They're not as difficult as, as they seem. People say, that must have been really hard to tell that story. Um, It's not as difficult as it may seem to other people. And I don't know if I'm unique in that. What is difficult, and what I don't talk about very much, are the happy memories. Those are much, much more difficult. Um, When you have a parent who is such wildly different people from one day to the next. It's impossible to make sense of this person. And it's impossible to make sense of what they may feel about you. What's real? Is the anger real? Is the hatred real? Is the love and comfort real? Were the birthday wishes real? Which one is real? And it's not, no, they're not, both real in an uncomplicated way. Maybe they're real in some sense, in a heavily qualified sense. If I'm going to 
think back on difficult memories about my relationship with my mother, the ones, the ones that, <laughs> the ones I'm having a hard time getting out of my mouth right now as I talk to you are the happy memories. Let me tell you one of them. And this is, this is the characteristic of my mother's psychology that falls most into the borderline category. The hot and cold, the yes and no, the I hate you, I love you. <clears throat> I've told you before that there was a lot of gender policing in my household. My mother had a lot of criticism and sometimes some insult and humiliation for me for being a sissy kid, not being a man's man, a real boy. But there were other times when she was completely the opposite. When she would comfort me when I'd come home from school crying because the boys were calling me horrible names like sissy and homo or when they beat me up. And she'd sometimes go to school and go to bat for me. And there were other times when she seemed to understand that she had a sensitive, effeminate kid and that she needed, that somebody needed to make some space for that to be okay. So I remember I wanted to do a lot of things that my mother did. I was a mama's boy. Um, I liked, I liked learning how to cook. I liked learning how to run a household. I liked learning how to sew. My mother was a crocheter and I, I, I thought it was great. I wanted to be like her. <laughs> and I remember one time she taught me how to crochet and I don't remember the content of the rest of the conversation, but we must've been talking about how difficult it was to be a boy who liked girl things. And during this conversation, my mother was straightforward, sensible, and kind. And she said, you know, there's a, foot, there's a famous football player named Rosie Greer, and he does needlepoint. And nobody says he's not a real man. Have you ever seen him? He's very big. He's a great big football player. If Rosie Greer can do needlepoint, there's no reason why you can't do crochet. There's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> sorry um this is i don't like crying on the show i don't like making a spectacle <clears throat> out of it but this is very tender um those are the memories that really hurt because i don't know what to do with them i don't know if they were a real part of my mother i don't know if they reflected anything real about how she actually felt or if it was just what she felt she needed to say in the moment as, as, as she approached so many things. Context, history, even recent history would be lost. Anything good you'd done didn't count when it was time to rage. And I've told you on the show before about when my mother heard a report on the radio about a city that was going to make it 
legal for landlords to evict gay people. And my mother sort of yelled and cheered along with the radio. And she talked about gay people by referring to them as, as those people. They're not normal. They don't deserve to live with normal people like the rest of us. This was just a couple of years before I came out to her. And a couple of years after that incident, my, I discovered that my mother had a whole new group of women friends when she went to community college who'd come over and play cards and drink beer and smoke cigarettes. And they were all lesbians. And I told you the story about how one day my mother said to me, well, you know that all these women are gay, right? And I said, yeah. And she goes, and I think that's just great. They're my friends and, and they're great women. And it was a complete turnaround. My mother had gone from somebody who sounded like a right-wing fundamentalist Christian yelling at the radio about those disgusting, perverted gay people to someone who was hosting lesbian card nights <laughs> in our dining room. <laughs> Very confusing. But I took that as a good sign. And it turned out to be a good sign because it wasn't long after that that we that I came out to my mother as gay. And I remember the conversation. I remember the night. We were sitting in the living room of this wonderful house. And we lived in more than a dozen different places. We never stayed in one place for more than a year or two. But this house that we lived in was in Cortland, New York. It was built in 1906, so it was a late Victorian Cuspidwardian home. It wasn't fancy. It was large. It's probably 2,500 square feet. I guess that's not large today, considering that we have starter homes. Uh, but it was certainly a, a commodious house. How many bedrooms? One, two, three, four, five bedrooms. And wainscoting. And a worked wood banister on this staircase that went up the wall and then turned right and went up the other way and a landing with a stained glass window and a little bench to sit in and upstairs in the very narrow very tall but very narrow victorian hallways were the capped off spigots pipes in the wall for the gas lamps <laughs> a lot of really horrible things happened in that house but I still have very fond memories of it. So anyway, it was it, it was that house. And we were sitting in the living room one night. And I was sitting on one of our couches, which I think was called a day bed. And the cushion was made out of that dark green naga hide. The fake leather that used to uh, cover the interior of cars. <laughs> it was directly out of 1970. Avocado color, actually. And I told her... I told her that I was gay. We probably talked for a couple of hours. Both of us cried a lot. And um, my mother said, I'm not, I'm not upset that you're gay. I'm not crying because I think there's something wrong with you. I'm crying because I'm worried about what will happen to you when you grow up, how hard it'll be for you. I worry that you'll get sick. It was very, it seemed to me a very honest <clears throat> conversation. And it certainly took a weight off my shoulders. It didn't last long. There were other problems, of course, but it's these memories that I don't quite know what to do with. <clears throat> 
Was she acting? Did she mean it and she simply couldn't maintain it? I've talked about it with my therapist. There aren't any real answers to it. It's speculation. But I, I've asked him about some of these and I said, you know, there were times when my mother seemed to really care about her children and care about our feelings and our fears. And yet I could have that conversation that one night with her and it would have no bearing on whether the next day was filled with screaming and accusations and lies. And he said, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he, he didn't leave me with the impression that he thought they meant some kind of enduring and genuine love. Because it was in the context of a conversation I revisit from time to time, which is, did my mother love her children? And I think I keep asking it because I don't like the answer. But not all answers are, <clears throat> are ones we want to hear. And his point of view on this is that people like my mother, people who are psychologically compromised the way my mother is, are not capable of love. And that's pretty much how I feel, too. But it's, it's damned hard to reconcile that, that reality, and that certainly does seem to be the way it is. It's hard to reconcile that reality with the memories <clears throat> that seem to indicate care and love. And I, one of the reasons I don't talk about these things very much is because I'm afraid of I'm afraid of what it will look like, what it'll sound like. I'm afraid that people will say, well, see, your mother showed you love then, so she couldn't have been all bad. Are you sure that she was that abusive? Why can't you just forgive her for her bad days? And underneath that, I worry... I worry that if I share these stories, if I tell about some of the good things my mother did for me, that people will think I'm making up the abuse, or they'll think that I'm unreasonable, or that I should still be talking to her. And I suppose that should just roll off my back, because it doesn't matter. Really, it doesn't matter what people think, but it matters to me. Um... It matters less than it used to, but it still matters. The work of getting your insecurities under control for people like me, like you, like us, doesn't end. It's constant. Try to remind yourself that you have made progress. Because you always have made progress. If you're listening to this show, if you're thinking about family dynamics and relationships on the level that you're interested in listening to this show, you've already made progress over who you were five years ago or ten years ago. And it's not because it's my show. It, it's because it means that you are seeing psychological reality in a way that you probably didn't before. And you probably have mastered some insecurities that you don't think you have. And I tell you this to remind you, but I tell, I say it to remind myself as well. 
Time to take a break. I'll come back on the other side. Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. Welcome back. Since the current topic exercising everyone is the grooming of children, which many people don't want to call grooming, but I'm going to call grooming. Let's talk about a few examples from this week. Oh, and if you caught the show from last Sunday night, you know exactly how I feel about this and about some of the legislative efforts that are happening in, in my state to make it easier to poison children with puberty blockers. You guys, this shit is going on everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not just a few places. It's not just fringe liberal schools in San Francisco. It's fucking everywhere. And there's no shame about it anymore. Teachers get on social media and TikTok and Instagram every single day in the thousands bragging about what they're doing with children. Here's one, and let me describe it for you. This is a public school teacher standing in front of a great big rainbow flag with a huge mask over his mouth. And he's exactly what you would picture him as. He's about 30 years old, half bald, full beard, chunky glasses, and overweight. Take a listen. My principal just approved our district's first transition closet. We'll be working with the organization The Transition Closet to provide clothes for transgender, non-binary, and gender-exploring youth who maybe don't have the access or the safety to get those clothes uh, in their personal lives, they'll be able to come to school and change the clothes that make them feel more at home and more like themselves. And I just think that's lovely. Do you? Do you just think that's lovely? You just think that's lovely? Yeah? Is that lovely? You think that's lovely? You fucking idiot. Transition closet. A closet full of clothes at school for children to access. Yeah, you, did you get that? So they can access. They may not be able to access it in their personal life. You know how sometimes kids can't access food because they're hungry. I'm sorry, not hungry. Food insecure. They, they've got closets full of clothes at school for kids to duck into <laughs> and put on pantomime drag and come back out because it helps them feel more like themselves. Do you understand now? Dress up makes you help helps make you feel more like yourself. You feel more like the real person you are when you put on a costume. Do you see the inversion? Do you see the reversal? What in screaming hell is going on in these schools? Well, why am I asking you that? It's rhetorical. It's an easy phrase that comes to mind easily, but we can see exactly what the hell is going on in these schools. And I'm not going to ask why is it going on in schools because we know now. We know that we have been culturally groomed for decades, 40, 50 years, maybe longer, we have been culturally groomed into perversity, psychological instability, lack of resilience, our own personal resilience, dependence on others for uh, validation and emotional control. And we've been groomed into 
the idea that, well, it's sort of, I don't know if we've been groomed into it or if we've sort of brought ourselves into it. We, this is another thing that, that many people have a hard time seeing, even when it's right in front of their faces. If you had played this video even 10 years ago, but certainly 15 or 20 years ago, I would not be talking to you about this behind a microphone on this podcast in this way because the public would have gone apeshit berserk and said, what in screaming hell is going on in this particular school? Stop it right now. We don't react that way anymore. We react the way we react the way that we react to issues of maternal child abuse, the rampant Munchausen syndrome by proxy that has been normalized. We call it transgender children. What it is is psychologically disturbed mothers poisoning and making sick their children for narcissistic attention. It's the same way that I refused to see my mother as an abuser for all of my life until I turned 41 years old, even when my very closest friends were looking directly in my eye and telling me that my mother was exploiting me and taking advantage of me, I refused to see it. Don't refuse to see this, please. Check out what's going on in your public schools. This is not normal and it cannot continue. Here's an even more clear-cut example of grooming. This is a very short um little audio piece. This is an interview with actress Jada Pinkett Smith. It's within the past year or two. Yes, the same woman who is Will Smith's wife. Yes, the same uh, the same couple that was involved in the Oscars fracas when Will Smith went and uh, smacked Chris Rock, the host, live at the Oscars. Take a listen to how Jada describes an educational moment with her grandmother. My grandmother taught me about self-pleasuring because she wanted me to know that that pleasure was from me. Exactly. She didn't want me to fall into the hands of a man and if he gave me pleasure to think that that was him. And she taught me at nine. You can't see this, but there are two children sitting at that table, two teenagers. One of them is Willow Smith, her child. You, you know, off the top of my head, I don't even know if it's a boy or a girl because I can't tell visually and I forget. But I know that <laughs> that kid is, at least at that time, was living as trans. Literally cannot tell. There's another child there. It might be one of their children. I, I don't know who it is. But they have these wide-eyed looks on their faces and they're nodding along. Listen to what she just said. My grandmother taught me about self-pleasuring so that I wouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that if a man gave me pleasure, that it was him giving me pleasure? You hear the deranged extreme feminism in that, right? You see the connection between that brand of hysterical and, and actually man-hating feminism and the cluster B psychology. That's not a coincidence. It's not merely a coincidental correlation. It is bad enough that Jada Pinkett's grandmother instructed her granddaughter in masturbation, but at nine years old, 
nine years old. I asked this question earlier on Twitter. I said, here, well, here, I'll give you the thought experiment. Think back to your puberty. Think back to your adolescence. This is going to be somewhat different for men and for women. I realize that for women, it's a little bit different. Men will recognize this universally. Remember when you got into puberty? And sometime between the ages of 11 and 14 for most of us, some later, some a little earlier, remember how you discovered masturbation all on your own? Nobody told you about it. Nobody planted the idea in your head. You figured out that it felt good to touch your dick. And that's how you learned to jerk off. That's nearly every boy on the planet. So, you recall that you learned about this on your own. It was through self-exploration. <laughs> it was you loving you. <laughs> so, keeping that in mind, bearing that in mind, ask yourself this question. Why would a teacher believe that this needs to be taught? Why would a school teacher believe that? Because we know that we do, in fact, discover masturbation on our own. We know that. So why does a teacher believe that it needs to be taught? What do you think? I think you know what I think. And I think you think it too. Because that's the truth. This is for the gratification of adults. For some of these adults, it's absolutely directly sexual gratification. They're getting off on it, for sure. Not all of them, though. There are many out there, I'm sure, who honestly believe that children need to be taught this, or and I'm not sure why. What do they think is going to happen if they don't teach children masturbation? Like, well, I kind of doubt they've actually sat down and thought through this process candidly and explicitly step by step. Because it falls apart if you do that. So number one, that must mean that you believe that children won't discover masturbation on their own. But we know that isn't true. So what's possibility number two? That, well, no, no, not even possibility number two. Even if that were true, even if without direct instruction, children wouldn't discover masturbation, why do you believe that it, it is incumbent on you to teach it to them? What bad thing do you believe will happen if the child somehow misses the concept of masturbation and never learns it? First of all, that's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Even girls who don't masturbate themselves until they're adults, and some never do, they know what masturbation is. Even if they think it's something dirty that they shouldn't do as a woman, they are aware of the fact that there are women who masturbate. There's nobody who doesn't know that. What bad thing do you think is going to happen if they don't learn it from you? It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> See, now I'm arguing with myself. I, want, I, I said there are all these people and they, they're not directly trying to sexually groom children. They're not necessarily getting sexual gratification. But now I'm wondering... Because you either have to believe all these false things that are so clearly, obviously false, or you're getting something else out of it. Ugh. 
Well, if you want a more articulate discussion of uh, grooming in schools, be sure to check out our episode from uh, this past Sunday night, The Groomer Boom, our TV show on Sunday. Last thing I want to close up with is this... <laughs> well... <laughs> I'll let you decide what you think of it. This is an interview with actress Emma Watson. She's the girl, the woman. Well, she acts like a little girl, so I think of her as a little girl. Um, who played Hermione Granger, one of the protagonists of the Harry Potter films based on the books. She is also, along with her other Harry Potter cast members, a little bitch. Who says frightful things about Harry Potter author Joanne Rowling. And basically calls her a transphobe. So she bites the hand that feeds her. <laughs> Take a listen to this. I know what the answer to this question will be, but, you know, do you feel comfortable with me using, you know, female toilets? Oh my God, oh, of course. I would. Does that depend on me having had surgery? No. What would you, what would you say? I don't want to dwell on this for too long, but what would you say to those people who would have an issue sharing a public bathroom? Oh my goodness. Say, so, that's another human being. I understand fearing what you don't know. I understand kind of being like, oh, I don't really understand about this. I've never met someone. Ugh, okay, I won't subject you to it anymore. I don't even know how well or how badly you can hear that given the freaking music in the background, but it's apparently a trans woman saying, would you be afraid to have me in the bathroom with you? And Emma says, oh my God my god of course not i don't understand <laughs> that's my crappy british accent but she's sitting there she's got the big eyes and she's doing big emotions and i mean it's sort of a setup because if 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 as i believe she is being interviewed by a trans woman that is a woman a man who calls himself a woman uh and she's on camera she what is she going to do she can't go anywhere but but do this uh, performative female support thing, which she's doing. I can understand if you're afraid. If it's something you've never seen before. But this is a human being. Jesus Christ. And this, this setup usually happens this way. You can't see this visually, I know. But the person interviewing Emma Watson, if he is indeed a trans woman... Um, does a fairly good job, at least on camera, of passing. I didn't immediately know that it wasn't a woman. But that is what they usually use when they want to trap you. See, you couldn't tell anyway. So are you saying that you want to check my genitals? Do you want to see? And one of the questions here was, would my using the bathroom depend on me, ha using the women's bathroom, would that depend on me having had surgery? Oh my God, of course not. <laughs> Look at me, woman, woman, woman. Support, support, support. Love, 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 love. It's so gross. Well, I, well, actually, I kind of agree. It doesn't matter whether a person has had so-called sex change surgery or not. They are a man or a woman, regardless of that. And I do not believe that the issue, I do not believe it's dispositive of the issue of whether they should be able to enter opposite-sex bathrooms, opposite-sex rape shelters, compete on opposite-sex sports teams. Their having had surgery is not the dispositive element. Because as gruesome as it is, chopping your dick off doesn't actually make you a woman, and chopping your tits off 
doesn't actually make you a man. It doesn't solve any of these problems. Anyway, that's the show. Talk to you again in a couple of days. Well, hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine program. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send Mommy some money on Patreon, patreon.com slash disaffected, or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want Mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever.